spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 176th Annual Subliminal Session Podcast. Your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm John Powell. Phil, how are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Ah, not doing too bad. Um, winter, as mentioned, I think is fully upon us now. Did I mention it snowed? What day was it? Maybe Saturday or Sunday? Oh, that's fucking disgusting. Dude, yeah. That, don't, don't bring me down like that. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it was 90 degrees here today. I know. It, I don't even think they predicted it as snow, and there's just like snow everywhere when you woke up and then obviously now it's all gone it hasn't came back not good well Phil, i want to tell you about last friday for me okay okay i got all excited because there's a new movie that was coming in theaters and then obviously it was going to be on peacock because for some reason they get the rights to these movies and uh being that it's halloween it was the newest halloween movie halloween yes. ends okay so I watched it. Now, before I give my review here, Halloween, I don't, I think they call it Halloween 16 or 17, which was kind of a sequel to the very first one, which I think that movie was fantastic. Then the second one, I think, came out last year or the year before that, Halloween Kills. Not as good, but it was all right. And then I watched Halloween Ends, and it was fucking bad, really terrible. Ooh. I know you, you don't, maybe you're not into horror movies as much, but... Man, like the first hour, I'm like, is this a fucking romance movie? What the fuck is going on here? It was Yeah, well, so I haven't watched it yet. I do have Peacock, so I can watch it anytime that I want to, though I haven't actually like sat down and watched it yet. I've seen it. I don't know if it's on Peacock, but I have seen the advertisement. It's basically right now, it's the banner that, you know, yeah. is your homepage. Um, I did watch Halloween Kills last year when that came out i did not like it uh i didn't think it was very good um though we did well my family like we grew up watching all the halloween movies so i mean basically that first through i think the fifth one we watched a shit ton so honestly i'd say the halloween one and halloween two the original is pretty good then they kind of get a little silly towards the end and then i think it's halloween h2o is pretty good i think that's the one then they're kind of bad i think that two thought i think it's 2016 i think that one was really good it felt like okay. a real michael myers movie yeah halloween kills i like it felt like a halloween movie but the ending i thought was really bad really stupid yeah i really did not like the end of it um that's the one where the entire like fucking town gangs up on michael myers yeah and they still, yeah, they're still not able to kill him. No. Basically. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, it's kind of like pro wrestling, how they let the bad guy up. You know, they keep letting the fucking heel up. And you, you're just yelling at your TV. Hit him now. This is, he's on the ground, you know, face down. And they're like, 
You know, you can't just let him fucking flail there. Cut his head off. Yeah, they knew they had to make a a next last movie or whatnot. I yeah, Halloween H two O was kind of the resurrection movie of that whole series. It, yeah, yeah, that one was pretty good. I like that. Yeah, one. that's the one where he finally kills Jamie Lee Curtis, I believe. Isn't she in these these movies though? Yeah, in Halloween okay. Ends, she's the only good part because she is a great actress and she kills it. Yeah, I yeah I plan on watching it. I do enjoy how, like, you know, horror movies more towards Halloween. And then the rest of the year, I, you know, maybe one or two, I might watch a, you know, a new one. I actually, I want to talk also about it's more sci fi kind of my deal. It is a horror movie, though. It's pretty freaky. Have you heard of the movie Megan? Ah, uh, yeah, the little robot doll thing. Yes, the freaky little robot doll that has her like becoming sentient. Have you seen advertisements for that one? Yep, I watched the trailer because it was kind of funny trailer. It's a little goofy. Yeah, well, I did kind of see like a little reaction videos online about it. Apparently people are like freaked out by the little dance that she does. Yeah. Like right before she murders that kid. (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty pretty fucking weird, but... Yeah, I love sci-fi movies and the whole, like, you know, the whole Android idea. I do love, uh, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, they were making a bunch of movies about, like, good androids, you know? That with the Will Smith movie, iRobot, there was a few other ones. This one is completely the other way. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Very freaky, little, you know, everyone should watch that trailer. It's pretty good. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, their, I guess it's a little different, but it's like a so when they remade the Child's Play movie, that was really bad. Um, yeah. And he was a robot then. And this kind of reminds me of that hopefully it's actually good, though. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's so hard to tell because they can do things with trailers that, you know, can make any movie look like anything they want. So yeah. hopefully it's good. I just I haven't seen a good movie that has really come out in the past. I don't know, like maybe one or two years. It, it seems like it's been a long time since like a really enjoyable movies come out. Maybe I'm forgetting one or maybe I, since it's COVID, you know? Well, so the last good, the good movie I can say I've seen is in theaters anyway, is that Nicolas Cage movie. But again, it's just silly and it's just him making fun of himself. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason it's good. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I'll definitely watch that Megan movie. I still need to watch uh, Nope, and I need to watch Smile. But as far as lo- apparently Nope's going to come to Peacock, I haven't seen when yet. But the other one, you know, when you go to these questionable websites to watch it, <laughs> them streaming it or whatever, you never really know if it's safe to watch it there or not. So I'm always a little cautious because I don't want my fucking identity stolen. Yeah, I have quite a few streaming services. I actually I kicked out uh, Disney Plus off of my my Xbox, and now I have what Paramount, Peacock, HBO, and Netflix, and uh, Prime too. So I probably have too many, but Peacock is good because every once in a while they'll toss up like a a new movie that's yeah. coming out that's only owned by like you know Universal or whatever it is. The only reason I M- have it is because is because it's uh, free with. My Comcast internet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I think I have it in a bundle with something else, but I'm not exactly sure. I know I don't pay for it directly. So, mm. 
Well, uh, I think it's about that time, Phil. We got to hear part two of the uh, the old Alamos here. Are you ready? Yes. Let's hit it. So at the conclusion of last week's episode, by the mid-70s, Tony and Susan Alamo were on the move, taking their ministry away from their hallowed compound outside of dreary Los Angeles to much more promising lands, actually Susan's homeland of Alma, Arkansas. This was to get them away from the prying eyes of the California state authorities and the freedoms awarded to the Alamo family due to the fact that they were now basically the de facto nobility of the area. Having purchased many buildings in that region, employed solely by the members of the ministry. Yep, I remember this was what, like 30, 30 businesses or something? Yeah, at their height. They owned 30 businesses in that region. So they basically operated a church and a school. They opened up a few businesses, a restaurant, a bar. Um, also, they started up a trucking industry. Just basically, um, I mean, really big industries. In supposedly, this was a pretty big crossroad for some important highways that made a lot of their bars and restaurants really popular. Just like stopovers for the truckers and, and people traveling and stuff. So I, yeah, I could see, uh, it'd be kind of creepy. You stopped here just to have a quick bite, quick bite to eat. And it's just creepy cult members. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, especially all of these cult members, they were sleep deprived, you know, malnourished, basically kind of like ragged looking. It, it would be pretty weird to walk into a roadside diner and kind of see that. You know, yeah. if they had if they if they purchase like the big roadside diner that you see along those highways and it's basically just a bunch of, you know, people with weird smiles on their face and, you know, sadness in their hearts serving you coffee and Pro shit. probably just give you like a pamphlet to their ministry with every dinner or something. Oh, definitely. And I imagine like if you had any plate, they all just scavenge it, like yeah. run over and start eating the bread and shit. <laughs> 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 now the wealth that these businesses built for the alamos grew rapidly this was due largely to the fact that not only did the alamos not have to pay any of their employees a fair wage some of which were actually putting in 14 hours a day at any one of the alamos businesses this included like i mentioned restaurants uh, nightclubs the shipping industry, they even had, which was weird for a religion, bars and nightclubs near the church's home in Arkansas. Another major aspect of the massive growth was actually the status that the Alamos businesses shared with their ministry, and that was that they were all tax-exempt, with the Alamos finding creative means to shelter their profits. One example of this was that they actually added a meeting room to their new Arkansas mansion. This was to make it a church facility rather than their home. Okay. All right. I mean, they must have somebody who's telling them how to get creative with their tax stuff. Yeah, you have to imagine. So they're building more and more wealth. They're also kind of building their circle of people that they bring into their sphere. So... Along with the wealth comes lawyers, comes financial people, you know, think about every time they also like bring in anyone into their church who has like some special skill, they utilize that. And that person kind of like now works for them. Yeah, it's cult 101. Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of people minus obviously ministers and stuff who 
who really think this tax exemption should go away, like, overall, um, I assume, I think I've heard America's, like, one of the last countries that allows churches and stuff to do that, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird that it's allowed to happen at all. So, I mean, in theory, it's good. And in some practices, it's good because there's a lot of little ministries out there. There's a lot of actually like good churches that kind of use this tax exempt status to take the money that they take in and actually use it on you know, kind of like the charities that they run or the missions that they do, you know, trying to do good across the region, maybe even like the world. But there's a lot of these fucking, you know, gigantic churches. Scientology is probably the best example you can use of kind of like taxes them status, just run amok. Yeah. It's funny because um, when I worked at, you know, Best Buy doing customer service, like basically if a business wanted to use the tax exemption i had to like help him fill out this paperwork and stuff but what was interesting is it wasn't just churches and and stuff like that it was seemed like a lot of businesses got tax exemption for certain things yeah well the weird thing about this is kind of off topic the weird thing about capitalism and in america is everyone thinks that you know rich people are just kind of never wanting to pay their fair share Kind of like how the system is supposed to be set up is the more wealth you generate and the more jobs you create, you know, it's kind of like this perpetual thing where for all of this kind of opportunity you make, you get these little like pluses, like you're not taxed at, you know, as high a rate. You are kind of given, you know, some leeway with a lot of this stuff. Like imagine if there is a person making $60,000 a year. He gets fucked over by the IRS and they're, you know, basically just on his ass. Now imagine there's a company who's making $60 million a year. IRS is still, you know, kind of talking to them, but they're not on their ass. They're not, you know, they give them some leeway. Yeah. Yeah. Like, obviously, it's not uncommon to hear, obviously, our ex-president was a big uh, target for <laughs> for not paying taxes. Uh <laughs> You know, athletes and stuff, you always hear about them wiggling their way out of taxes or I guarantee you, you probably paid more taxes than Jeff Bezos last year. I would almost guarantee that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm sure he would look at my tax return and laugh twice. Once at how much I made and once at how much I paid. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> you know what would be great? Giving them pluses if they, you know, kept the wage gap closer, but it's so far apart you know what i mean like the top yeah. guy well, to the bottom guy is like astronomically wide yeah it's kind of i mean it seems really really bad but i mean when it comes to like you know the country trying to generate more wealth and you know increase everything increase its gdp and all that stuff that neither of us understand it's i mean it's good in the long run to kind of have this, but it does feel like in the last, like what, 70 years or so, it's just run away. Yeah. I always remember this statistic I saw where it was like the head of a company in 1950s, the head of a company made a hundred times more than the lowest paid employee. Now that's, I think it was a hundred thousand to 200,000 more than 
the lowest paid employee. So the <laughs> yeah, and that was like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. So that number is even higher now. Yeah, well, technically, some of these companies are hiring people like straight out of college as quote interns yeah. and not paying them a fucking dime. Yeah, so that's happening too. So it's pretty easy to make. I make two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand times more than an intern who makes zero dollars. <laughs> so while in Arkansas, the living and working conditions continue to decline for their parishioners, with the same message being that members of the church really needed to live in this kind of poverty, and they also needed to hand over their money and possessions, including the not taking of any form of salary from their hard work. As the Alamos were preaching that the only way into heaven was living a life of piety and servitude to Tony and Susan. All the while, the Alamos lived in the lap of luxury, even having church members that lived in squalor and filth act as their servants in the main home. Uh, you know what? The Honestly, I know we were just talking about rich people, but <laughs> these two act like rich people. Oh, definitely. Like, say one thing and then act a completely different way. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, obviously, I don't know how long they're going to get away with this yet, but, man, it seems like this would get someone on the radar pretty quick. Yeah, it. I mean, it's amazing kind of how long they're allowed to, you know, continue this con. Um, really, it is the umbrella of religion, especially we're coming up on like Reagan times. So pretty much just untouchable, you know? Yeah, I was going to say Reagan would love these guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, these were basically these were, you know, people running one of these giant mega churches down south. They were, you know, dressed in the finest clothing. They seemed like they were doing really well. They must be godly people, you know? Well, he's probably he's probably like, don't worry you know, indentured slaves here. There's a trickle-down effect. You're going to get it eventually. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, the getting it was heaven. That yeah. was the trick. The trickle-down was my, you know, extreme amount of grace of God is going to splash off of me and then sprinkle onto you. And you'll get just a little bit of my, yeah, you know, you can't my put, God powers. You, you can't put a price on getting into heaven, Phil. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's uh, basically a lot of their parishioners did some horrible things, put up with some terrible shit just for the promise of heaven from, from yeah. these assholes. <laughs> Along with the building of the wealth of the ministry, the Alamos also continued to build their own social profile, using their ownership of restaurants and bars to book some of the most influential country music stars of that time to perform in Tony Alamo's nightclub. This would include Dolly Parton, Buck Owens, Tammy Wynette, and Hank Williams Jr. They would find influential celebrities to rub elbows with, even away from the glitz and glamour of Los Angeles that they had left behind. Okay, I want to ask you a question. As a man who ventures out into the, you know, the youthful environment of probably people younger our age, do you remember probably 10 years ago, all of a sudden, people our age, there's like a resurgence of everybody loves friends all of a sudden, even though it's clearly on <laughs> when you were younger, never watched it. Now, I've noticed this about Dolly Parton. A lot of younger people, maybe 30s, all of a sudden they're like obsessed with Dolly. 
They love Jolene. They want to sing it at karaoke. It's just uh, her and Fleetwood Mac or Fleetwood Mac. I don't know what it is. They've made a resurgence too. I don't know. So the the thing about Jolene, I think it might have started when uh, Miley Cyrus started singing that song. So before Miley Cyrus kind of like cut off all of her hair and started posing, like doing all the provocative stuff, she started singing Jolene. And it kind of I noticed that that was getting kind of big people singing that. Yeah, it's uh, by the way, I think Miley has came down to earth now, by the way. But also, yeah, you're probably right. I saw Miley's cover of, I think it was a Led Zeppelin song. Not good. Oh, yeah. She... But I'm not into pop either, so I should say that as well. Yeah, I don't like her songs. She does have a good voice. Yeah, I don't like her music, but I have to agree with you. Lovely voice on her. Definitely. So after the move from L.A. to Arkansas... The Alamos would find a new outlet for their recruiting, using the power of syndicated television to expand the church's reach outside of the fervently religious South, using the medium to televise church services, which included testimonials by Susan and members of the church about their leaving behind the life of a drug addict and an alcoholic. Also, there was preaching by Tony, funding drives, and of course, Plenty of gospel choirs led by the enchanting vocals of Tony Alamo himself. Ooh, I, I'm guessing he's not as good as Miley, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. here, we're going to lay out a subliminal deception challenge, guys. This Sunday, I dare you to make it through one hours of televised church services. <laughs> you can't do it. I guarantee you can't do it. No, definitely not. You. It takes a special kind of person you know salt of the earth to sit there on sunday and watch what fucking like four hours of that bullshit it's funny because a few times i've accidentally like landed on the channel they're not doing anything but it's like either they're just like in some pause in between whatever they're doing but i'm just like there's never any action going on yeah, I would say, so I mentioned last week when when I was a kid, we didn't have like cable or the satellite really, satellite TV wasn't really a big thing yet. So basically we had the three channels. One of the channels would have like a local Catholic church, a local Catholic mass, a very, very boring. You would flip past that and it would be one of these televangelist fucking, you know, preachers doing it like on a different channel. And he would be up there, you know, gyrating and doing all of his things you know fucking is much more entertaining the same bullshit you know right just way more entertaining and apparently this was very entertaining um i don't know exactly i mean you got to think a lot of people probably hadn't seen maybe this before on television he was kind of a pioneer for the whole thing uh cbn obviously also at this time coming up yeah yeah i could see if he's a charismatic guy you know he Somehow had conned all these poor people into working for him for free. I imagine he probably was entertaining on TV. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And a lot of it was like kind of like the, you know, the faith preaching, you know, basically telling people that, you know, believing in this stuff or praying with him and he could heal them from the TV, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That kind of shit still happens to this day. True. True. Yes, it does. Now, eventually... Television would help the ministry grow enough that the Alamo Christian Foundation could start building churches, 
businesses, and schools in major cities, among them Miami and Chicago. This would also include a highly successful country western apparel store <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, it sounds kind of funny, but this would actually conceive the ministry's most successful and influential enterprise in their entire empire, a line of stonewashed denim jackets. Yeah, this is definitely right in the heart of the 80s, that's for certain. Oh, definitely, yeah. So I actually have some pictures of them. I'm going to post these on Instagram. I have some pictures of them below for you. You might recognize a few of these people. Okay, I'm guessing Dolly and Mr. T wore them <laughs> in the time period. Obviously, if it's Nicki Minaj and uh, Miley Cyrus, they're wearing them much longer after the fact. Yeah, and I'll get into that at the end of the episode. Okay. But they actually do have a resurgence. You know what? There's so. something f kind of fun about old church propaganda uh, or memorabilia or old cult memorabilia, I should say. So, I mean, it doesn't look good because it's such a like poofy jacket, like 80s poofy. If it's just like yeah. a normal size denim jacket, I could I'd maybe wear it. But man, this looks like shit. Yeah. So that was kind of the big fashion back then was like the poofy jacket. They have actually come back into fashion a little bit. Uh, they've experienced a resurgence. So it's not really about the <laughs> the Christian cult aspect of the jackets. It's more about like the how fashionable these things supposedly are. And they're considered vintage now. Ah. So, yeah, there's I mean, they're on the Internet. Apparently, they're going for like, you know, hundreds of dollars for the mass produced ones and thousands of dollars for the kind of like unique ones, the ones yeah. that were made specifically for like celebrities. I don't have it here, but there is actually a leather version of the jacket that Michael Jackson wore on the cover of his um, album, Bad. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, I, I'm not that familiar with MJ, but I can kind of like envision him wearing it in my head a little bit, but I'll have to look it up later. Yeah, so these flamboyant jackets, featured elaborate airbrush designs and sparkling embedded rhinestones. They would become a staple of 80s fashion, frequently seen on the backs of movie stars, singers, and sports stars alike, in magazines and on the red carpets. This would filter down to anyone who really just kind of wanted to soak up a little bit of that celebrity feel, never knowing actually where the denim jackets were coming from or the price paid for their fashion statement. Yeah, yeah, it's... Here's the thing. We're all going to lie to ourselves if we don't believe that some of our clothing comes from, let's yeah. just say, immoral places. Okay. Let's, Questionable means. Yeah, yeah. We just are willfully ignorant. So, yes, these are pieces of shit, but also so is Nike and, you know, whatever else. Yeah. It's not only clothing in our lives now. It's pretty much everything. So kind of like the things that got it big were, I think Nike was the biggest one for kind of like people, you know, thinking about it when it was talked about like sweatshops and stuff like that. Really, like if you have a phone, it was probably put together by indentured servants, you know, yeah. um, just like a lot of the shit in lives is put together in like these sweatshops in foreign countries. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost inescapable at this point. 
Yeah. If you own, you know, you go to fucking what Target and buy a fucking bag of like the 20 pairs of socks. There's a reason why 20 pairs of socks only cost you eight dollars. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty sad. easy to figure that one out. Now, these jackets, which seem like works of art made in cottage industry by skilled artisans, were actually made in a very small factory. It was converted from an old restaurant uh, located in Alma, Arkansas. This factory employed 140 workers at a time. They were paid little to no money, working well over 12 hours a day. Okay, I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that Let's say old Dolly Parton probably didn't realize where this was coming from. No, Mr. T and Dolly Parton, who are the people wearing the jackets and pictures at the time, probably didn't realize that this was coming from sweatshop labor and who we're going to talk about, you know, putting these together. Yeah, I I don't know for certain, but from what I've heard, Dolly is one of the nicer celebrities. Like usually a lot of them have like stains on them. Um, yeah. I don't, I think she's always been pretty good. Yeah. So Dolly Parton's kind of connected to all of this. Uh, not only is she seen like frequently wearing, uh, these jackets, she's also, you know, kind of had a relationship a little bit. She sang a lot at, uh, their nightclubs and their restaurants and stuff like that. It's, it's one of those deals though, where back then they probably seemed legitimate, yeah. You know? I'm, also, I'm, there wasn't the internet, so who the fuck knew where these jackets were coming from? Yeah. Honestly, though, the celebrities wearing them now should really figure that stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> they, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. When you hear about this, they they really shouldn't be wearing them. Don't act like you wouldn't wear an OJ Simpson jersey. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that'd be a, that'd be a great little yeah. statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you can get them for real cheap online, right? Not a. I bet not a real like a, one from the eighties. Yeah, I wearing like one of his USC fucking uh, jersey would be kind of cool. I bet that shit is expensive. If you had like an original USC from one from what like the seventies, well, you can actually buy the jerseys with just the numbers on it from the schools, and then put whatever you want on the back. But so, I'm saying like maybe, a legitimate. Maybe just make your own. I'm saying like a legitimate real OJ one. Oh, God, no, that'd be fucking expensive. Yeah. 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 No. Now, not only were these jackets made from mere slave labor, but conditions inside the factory were absolutely terrible. The process of producing these jackets started with the washing of the denim. This took place in large barrels filled with bleach and pumice stones. This would constantly expose the workers to toxic chemicals. Uh, Little or no safety regulations, obviously not a lot of ventilation. Now, after being washed, the denim would be cut to pattern and sewn into the jackets, after which the elaborate patterns would be airbrushed onto the material with the small rhinestones inlaid into the design. This was under dirty and dangerous conditions throughout the entire process. We do need to say this, though, Phil. This sounds bad, but you got to remember, everywhere around the country around this time, they didn't give a fuck about safety anything. Oh, yeah, safety. I mean, they were, so child labor laws were, you know, in the big cities, they were, you know, cracking down on that shit for the past hundred years. But in small towns, I mean, think about... Think about like small town restaurants. You would constantly hear about like 
people we went to school with like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. So-and-so got a job. You know, she got a job waitressing when she was like 13 or, you know, a guy would get a job in the back as a cook at like 14. I remember my first job, I was like 10 years old picking (laughs) rock and bailing hay, you know? Uh, Yeah. Would you get $25 for the whole rock picking or something? I remember it was fucking terrible. It was like $5 an hour. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we worked for like three weeks and we did basically whatever. I mean, you kind of got the job by being pimped out, you know, to the local farmers pretty much. So it's not like you applied for this job. (laughs) But what I'm saying is like during this time, was OSHA even a thing? Yeah, I believe it was a thing. So what did this late 70s? I believe a lot of that started in the 70s. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say there, there's a, like you hear stories from boomers or whatever, and it's basically like, oh, my eyes are burning from these chemicals. And it was like, you better be quiet or you're getting fired. Oh, yeah. Oh, quit bitching. I mean, a lot of that shit fucking probably lasted up until like the 90s and 2000s, though. Up until, you know, a lot of these companies were burned by the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Until they get sued, they don't really care. Yeah. And I mean, the, the lawsuit has to result in them losing more fucking people over. So yeah, the employees dying is not the problem. Oh no. Yeah. And especially (laughs) if it's the toxic chemicals, the employees might not die until they're like, you know, in their fucking sixties or seventies. I don't give a fuck about that. Right. (laughs) They're worried about money now, you know, in their hand. Right. Now the worst part in all this scheme was the fact that church members, children would be used in the process of making these jackets, especially with the notching of the rhinestones to the jackets. This was due to the fact that these children had small fingers, which were useful in the delicate work of placing the small jewels on the denim. This would leave the children's fingers cut and bleeding after a 14-hour shift working with these sharp jewels. In actuality, the children were an integral part to the entire process, said to have washed, cut, and sewn these jackets, like basically along with their parents the entire way through, resembling what we think of now as a third world sweatshop, though for even less money. Look, these kids got to be quit being such pussies because (laughs) about 100 years ago, all them kids in Britain... They were young, working in dangerous jobs. You didn't see them bitching? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, those jobs, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, you hear about the kids working in the textile mills. They called yeah. uh, the little, they called them little, the mouses. Basically, they would have little kids go underneath the, uh, the big, I forgot what you call it in textile mills, but they would go in and like grab bits of cotton from underneath the machines that were, you know, extremely dangerous. Kids would have their arms ripped off and, you know, killed by these machines. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine a chimney sweep. I mean, how many different types of cancer did they have? (laughs) Like, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. There's also pictures of little kids going down into the lines nine years old from back then. Yeah. yeah. I remember remember seeing those. (laughs) Smoking a cigarette on their lunch break. (laughs) Yeah. So these kids need to shut up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just just playing devil's advocate. Yeah. You'd assume over a hundred years, you know, obviously child labor law should be (laughs) a little more intense. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, along with tax evasion, 
labor violations, child endangerment, and the multitude of other crimes that the Alamo Christian Foundation was committing, namely Tony and Susan Alamo. They also engaged in severe abuse of church members. They would manipulate their parishioners into monitoring each other, almost, you know, the Gestapo-like means. They would force their parishioners to dole out punishments for the most minor indiscretions. This would include physical and mental abuse. With survivors of this cult telling stories of being beaten unconscious, children would tell of adult members hitting them with paddles in a supposed effort to save their soul. The level of torture and abuse escalated year after year, and especially after the 1982 death of Susan Alamo. Yeah, this is like, I hate to be a broken record here, but again, I'm pretty sure they did this at the Jonestown thing where they would like have people tell on each other to then get beaten and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I so... If it's going to escalate after she dies, is she somehow keeping the abuse down? I don't know if she's keeping the abuse down as much as kind of his mental state deteriorates after she dies. Oh, Tony's. Tony's. Yeah. So Tony's mental state seems to deteriorate after Susan's death, which I'm going to get into in a a minute here. Okay. But... Yeah, so basically, I mean, there's stories even before Susan's death of just extreme beatings. Uh, I mean, there are stories of a boy who is beaten unconscious by adults for being seen holding a girl's hand while, you know, on church grounds. Jesus, what is this, Jehovah's Witness? Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, yeah, okay, so if he's already an asshole and you know, a little crazy. And if this pushes him over the edge, then he's completely unhinged. So I can't even imagine the type of shit he's going to get into. Oh yeah. It's, it's fucking terrible. Like, honestly, there's a reason why I fucking wanted a part two because we had to, it's a long story. It's how bad it is. Yeah, definitely. So Susan Alamo, after years of claiming that she was suffering from all sorts of illnesses and cancer, Also, of course, claiming that she was healed by faith and prayer, really just to fill up the coffers. She would actually be diagnosed with breast cancer in the late 1970s, though after her real diagnosis, she would refuse any sort of medical treatment or, you know, special attention for it. This was till the very end when she would pass away April 8th, 1982 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So she pulled a Steve Jobs here. Um, yeah. So, okay. So she said the faith was healing her cancer. Then she ironically had cancer. Yes. So does this mean that she was, even though she had it, she claim would probably keep claiming that the faith is just healing it. Oh yeah. I mean, well, it's all part of the grift. So basically Susan, like I mentioned in the first episode, she was really big on testifying, kind of like getting up there and telling people about how faith in the Lord had healed her alcoholism, had healed maybe like, you know, drug abuse that she was suffering from, illnesses, all of this. So really in an effort to kind of like grow the membership, uh, grow the amount of money, basically willing to say anything. Right. Uh, By the way, one quick thing before we continue. So you 
love the word coffers, right? Um, when it comes to uh, churches or things like that, yes. when you finally buy your own house or condo or whatever you get, please install a coffer of some kind just so you can put cash in it. I don't know what it looks like, but you need one. Just put a clear box by the door with a little slit on top and maybe start it off with a few bucks. <laughs> See if anyone actually throws some money in I there, want, any house guests. I want like a fucking stone, you know, chest that is like heavy shit to open and you just like put your money in it. Oh, yeah. Well, that movie Detroit Rock City, when uh, they deliver the pizza and the priest yeah. takes money out of the box yeah. and uh, says, oh, you donated your tip to to god or whatever you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a great part of the movie now during her time with the alamo ministry susan was actually an integral part of the message of the church not only utilizing her knowledge of kind of the church con that she had been running for years also they were using her ability to get up and speak the testimonials really about beating addictions to drugs and alcohol. Most importantly, having Susan at the side of Tony Alamo really softened his image and gave the church a more legitimate feel. This was that the preacher's wife really helped make the connection that this pair was making up the ideal Christian family. This, though, would all change, as with the loss of Susan, Tony had seemingly lost his compass, perhaps even, like you mentioned, his shackles, as the passing of Susan would see the violence and abuse doled out upon the parishioners increase dramatically. So she really was keeping him contained, or he wasn't as, like, visceral when she was around. He didn't want to be so evil. Well, he's evil, but... Yeah, oh, definitely. Like, like, she could cap it somehow, or at least maybe she was the brains of the operation. Yeah, I mean, it really, we talked about it in the first episode, it really does kind of feel like she's in charge, and she only, like, has Tony because it's such a patriarchal thing, this religion, you know, con that they were running. Yeah, yeah, that's true, especially at this time, they haven't... I mean, they're still working on it, but it would be hard for them to accept a female leader, I guess, for, you know, 70s, 80s. Yeah, well, I mean, these conservative people from the South, it might even be a hard thing for them to take on like now. Oh, for sure. For sure. I remember uh, there was one female uh, minister, I think she was Lutheran, back, back in her hometown. I remember she was always really nice. Yeah, well, we grew up in the, you know, grew up in northern Iowa, so it's it's a little different than Arkansas. Yeah, I I was kind of backwards still. Well, yeah, definitely, but <laughs> but not know, as much. It's not as bad as like West Iowa or Southern. True, Iowa. very true. Now, perhaps a sign that Tony had completely lost his mind after Susan's death was the fact that he had taken her body back to Arkansas after her passing putting the corpse on display inside of his mansion. He would also order his followers to hold a vigil day and night, claiming that after three days of prayer, Susan would miraculously rise from the dead. This, however, was not only insane and highly improbable, but also impossible, as Susan's body had been embalmed before being transported back to Arkansas. So the only way to stop a zombie is by embalming him. Um, yep. 
Yeah, okay, so this here, I want your opinion. Was Tony either truly in love with Susan? Like, this is because he has all these people to do this shit for him. Is this his inability to let her go? Or is he doing this to try to enhance the con that he that the religion will basically resurrect her from the dead. It's oh, Jesus. I mean, I was kind of thinking about this Well, I've been writing it for the past two weeks, but I really kind of feel like maybe he did love her. Maybe he didn't really though. I don't think he could have ran it without her. I'm thinking that that maybe is what was going on. Um, he's really just kind of like, it hits him like a fucking freight train her death yeah and i mean really he has to know that she's not going to rise from the dead you know but also you know maybe this will kind of get his people to kind of coalesce around him you know thinking that we really need to like lift him up and you know help him out especially now especially for what comes i mean he gets near 100 percent just fucking his people to obey him it's pretty fucking sick but yeah, I, if I had to guess, okay, from all the different cult leaders I've heard about, I think he did, this was, he really did love her, okay? And, you know, he doesn't know how to handle the grief and everything. And I think if he's going to escalate his behavior and he did this, I'm starting to think that he has been doing this con for so long, he might be starting to buy into his own bullshit, which is almost always the immediate nail in the coffin. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a good point too. Maybe he is. He's been running this con, let's see, 1982. He kind of started it around 68, 69. So he's been running it for a good 13, 14 years at this point. So yeah, I mean, maybe he is starting to live it. Yeah, I think sometimes you you fake being somebody for too long, you eventually... (laughs) Start to become that person. <laughs> oh, playing a character for too long. Yeah. You just kind of, you are them. Yeah. Like Hulk Hogan, basically. Yeah. I mean, that man doesn't have an identity outside of fucking Hulk Hogan. Oh, definitely. Like Terry Bollea, if you met him in real life, you know, you would just, you would want him to be the, you know, if you met him on the street and he's like, you know, you'd want to be like, come on, man, Hulk up for him. Do yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after Susan obviously failed to resurrect, Tony would become enraged. This was really because his parishioners, he claimed, had failed to pray hard enough. And they obviously didn't have enough faith to bring his wife back to him. Because of this, Tony ordered that his already overworked and sleep-deprived followers must hold vigil 24 hours a day by Susan's side in order to raise her from the dead. This apparently went on for six months until not even Tony could stand to be inside of his own home. The only thing that stopped the madness was the smell that was emanating from the rotten corpse, which is when he decided that his followers would erect a mausoleum out of white marble for his dead wife. This was to be placed next to their heart-shaped pool on the grounds of the mansion itself. And I have that uh, picture down below. Honestly, lovely mausoleum. I gotta say, I li- I do yep. like it. Um, I hope one day when I die, someone will build me a nice mausoleum. <laughs> I uh, I don't know how much 
uh, money he paid. Obviously, he didn't pay for you know the construction or the work. But yeah, the his indentured servants did some pretty good work there. Very nice. Marvel yeah. ain't cheap, I'll tell you that. Yeah, there's even it's kind of cut off there, but there's a cross shaped small little like pond in front of it too. Okay. All right. Oh yeah, I see it now. I see it. Yep. Yeah, it kind of extends to where the picture is cut off at the bottom. Very. It's a, they did a great job. I'll say that. Definitely. Yeah. Now, Tony would quickly remarry after Susan's death. This was to a woman of Swedish birth named Birgitta Gillenhammer. Actually, she was kind of big in the New York scene and got his jackets, you know, even more popular by kind of introducing them to influential New Yorkers. Now, the problem is with her, he was extremely controlling and abusive. He even tried to pressure her into having cosmetic surgery in order to look more like Susan. Eventually, though, she would come to her senses and leave Tony. This was after two years of marriage. Okay, yeah, it's confirmed. He is definitely obsessed with Susan. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, it's just, there really isn't any stories about, kind of like that I could find, how he was treating Susan. I'm guessing he treated Susan a hell of a lot better than he was treating Brigetta, his second wife. Oh, for sure. Or Definitely. Not his second. Actually, Brigetta was probably, I think, maybe his like fifth wife. But This makes me believe that Susan ran the pants in the family. Definitely, yeah. She must have been, like we were talking about, like the rock in this, the relationship and the church, kind of like leading the whole thing. Because right now, you'll see he's spiraling, yeah. and it's only going to get worse. All right, let's hear it. Now, after Susan's death, it was not only the physical and mental abuse that had ramped up, but also the sexual abuse of the church's parishioners, namely the church's female children. As Tony would begin making big changes to the church's doctrines and beliefs, now claiming that not only was polygamy acceptable, well, just for Tony, you know, but that the age at which a girl could be married was much younger than anyone in the church believed before. He claimed now that it began at puberty. Uh, he was even recorded as saying that a girl could be as young as 12 before Ooh. she was married. Ooh, that's not good. So is he, he's doing the FLDS thing where he's quote unquote marrying a bunch of people? Yes, basically the, it, it kind of reminds me of we, last week, the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And Crush. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. He's the, well, he's the pastor of his own church. So he's marrying himself to these girls. And he, at first he's marrying himself also to adult women, but pretty much it devolves down into, he's just marrying to these girls. Now he's a, he's a pedo. Definitely. Yeah. And now according to Chris, uh, the daughter of Susan, she claims that the sexual abuse that she suffered at the hands of Tony began like after her mother and Tony had met uh, basically while they were living in Las Vegas where Tony and Susan were married she was abused she told her mother Susan that she was being abused apparently Susan claimed not only that it wasn't happening but that if it did it was probably Susan who egged it on Ooh, god okay yeah so he was probably doing this the whole time oh definitely yeah I mean I don't know um, the stories kind of really don't become, you know, like it's not as 
widespread, I don't think, while Susan is alive. He's keeping it more undercover so she doesn't find out. But yeah, it definitely had to be happening before this. Yeah, especially if he did it to his stepdaughter. Yeah, because they weren't wealthy at the time that it was happening. So maybe, I don't know, it's just maybe she doesn't want to believe it or maybe she just doesn't care. It's probably it's a little, kinda, probably a little of both. Yeah. And I mean, they were starting their ministry. Money was starting to roll in. So this was probably the most money that she had ever had in her life. Very true. In the late 60s. Now, it was during this time that the Alamo Foundation would begin receiving attention from the federal government, not what you'd be hoping they would be receiving the attention for, which is the abuse of minors and the molestation. Rather, the church would be receiving the attention because of their income. The IRS would begin coming after Tony for unpaid taxes, though he now had the means to fight these legal troubles, hiring lawyers who would delay trials for long periods of time, allowing him the freedom to run his ministry as he saw fit from outside of prison. During this time in the mid-80s, he would tell his ministry that his legal troubles with the IRS was actually him doing battle against Satan, claiming that it was the devil trying to silence him and his heavenly message. Yeah, you know, everybody, you know, Satan, <laughs> number one <laughs> tax man in the country. Um, yeah, it's such a, like, cliche thing where it's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. It must be the devil, guys. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. It's, it's the devil or it's, you know, the fucking Satanists who are coming after you. Oh, it's the Satanists in the government. They're the ones coming after like, no, dude, it's a bunch of fucking pencil pushers and bean counters in the government. They're coming after. <laughs> yeah, it's, again, another cliche here. Make the government your enemy. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, eventually, the law would finally catch up with Tony, and he would begin losing lawsuits filed against him by victims of his rage and violence. Also, his church would take a devastating blow in 1986 losing its tax-exempt status, also being ordered by the Department of Labor to pay $15 million in back wages to his employees. Damn, okay. <laughs> so yeah, he's yeah. definitely done for. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because you would think like the most devastating blow he could receive was him being outed as a you know child sex offender or all of the abuse you know, coming out about him. The worst that he, you know, thing that a cult like this can have, though, is losing their taxes on status. Yeah. Well, that's really any religion. Losing the income. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. It's well, it's one of those deals where, you know, the whole thing is set up for money. Right. But if yeah. I mean, if he's ordered to pay 15 million, I can't. I mean, maybe he had that much money, but I can't imagine he wants to pay it. Oh, definitely. No. And I mean, Really, he's not going to pay it anyway. That's the problem. I mean, oh. that's the whole he he ends up going to prison later on. He's not paying. You know, he he's ordered to pay all this money. He never pays it. He's ordered to start paying taxes. He never pays those. That's eventually why he goes to prison um, in the 90s for the first time. But it's just, you know, well, not the first time, but the first time kind of like while he's a big shot. He's a real uh, Shakira. Remember, she didn't pay her taxes. She's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, the guy who played Blade. He was Wesley he got Snipes. In trouble. 
Wesley Snipes got in trouble for taxes. DMX also got in trouble for tax. Okay, DMX is a little more understandable, but Wesley Snipes, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I think he I think he got locked up for that. Uh, I, I always assume in those scenarios, it has to be their accountant or whatever is fucking up and they probably don't even know what's going on. I would assume maybe not, but... Or there's a Don King situation where the money that's supposed to be going to the t- tax man is actually going in their pockets. Yeah, 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 that could be. Don King was the master of that, though. He nickeled and dimed people. God, <laughs> he... Mike Tyson was basically nickel and dimed out of like... Yeah, yeah, yes, he was. Now, after years of evading paying his fair share, Tony would finally be convicted of tax evasion, serving his first prison sentence since that short stint that he served for the weapons charge back in the 60s. He was sentenced to six years in prison in 1994, though he would only spend four of them behind bars. This was for his failure to pay his employees or his taxes. Though when he got out of prison in 1998, he went right back, just doing the same exact shit, running his ministry in the way that he wanted, and the abuse of the remaining members of the church continued, including the sexual abuse, the mandatory fasts, and the beatings. <sighs> yeah, he. I imagine he probably did have a lot of people who actually did believe it was the devil who did this to him. And they, this might've actually hardened their resolve towards his religion. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I've kind of talked about it too, with kind of like the MAGA crowd. So (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that the MAGA crowd or, you know, Trump did anything like this ever, but it's kind of one of those deals where you've defended it to everyone, you know, for so long that you kind of, it's, it becomes kind of like your core belief and going like, you know, admitting that you were wrong about this means that you can be wrong about everything for the rest of your life. Yeah. You're just a wrong person when you need to be right. Right. So I think maybe it was a little bit of that too. Well, I mean, for sure. I mean, not even outside of like the, like you said, the Mog MAGA and the QAnon people. I mean, even from our realm of conspiracy theories, People invest so much of it oh. into any conspiracy theory. And then you're like, all this proof comes out that it, none of that's real, but they can't accept it. So the fucking thing can never die. Yeah, it is kind of funny. We talked about it before a little bit, how there will be like fans of the show who send us messages and are really like, you know, oh, I love the this episode. I love that episode. And then there's one episode where we kill their golden calf. And they just completely turn on you. Yeah. Like you just hit that wrong button on that wrong person and they completely flip. You got to be willing to accept maybe what you thought was one thing actually isn't. And unfortunately, um, I think the show's crushed a lot of my <laughs> mind <laughs> oh, that yeah. I wanted to be real, especially Roswell. That was one that was near and dear to my heart. But yeah, I, unfortunately, I think that might be uh, kind of a ruse. Yeah, three years ago, Philip believed in aliens, UFOs, and ghosts, and, you know, a lot of shit, so. <laughs> the show Kind of killed destroyed. a lot of that off. Yeah, we just, you, look, guys, you just got to accept the loss and move on. Something else will come up. It always does. Yeah, let me say, though, I still do believe that the Earth is a simulation. Okay, hey. Yeah. You know, that one can't be proven wrong. 
Definitely. That's the reason why I (laughs) go with that one. So after his release from prison in 1998, Tony Alamo was said to have had 10 wives, two of which at the time were underage. This behavior, though, only got worse. As in one point before his eventual capture by the authorities, all of his wives were under the age of 15, with one of the girls being as young as eight years old at the time of her quasi-marriage to Tony Alamo. Disgusting. Definitely, yeah. This behavior would be a part of his final downfall, however, as one of his victims would eventually escape the clutches of his compound and report to the authorities about what was happening inside the church. This would spark a two-year investigation, which ended in the 2008 raid by state and federal authorities at two of Tony's compounds. Uh, Tony would actually be captured five days later in Flagstaff, Arizona, as at the time, he was not at any of those compounds. They think he may have been tipped off. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt, he's tipped off. I mean... Jesus, yeah, he is like a mini version of Jeff Warren's, or Warren Jeff's, I should say. Uh, Yeah, he, god damn, he's got very young girls. I can't believe it It took 20 years from when he was released to prison, from prison, or no, sorry, 10 years. 10 to, years, ten, yeah. To fucking get this guy. Oh, yeah. So Susan died in 1982. That's when he really started getting bad. He was probably molesting girls before then. So, I mean, after 1982, it goes into overdrive. He finally gets taken down in 2008. That is so fucking long of a time. That's Do you know how many insane. or have an estimate of, let's say, when he was captured, how many people he had in his ministry? Not really. I mean, it kind of fluctuates. And when I talk about his victims of his ministry. I don't mean the people who kind of like maybe like there were people who were on the periphery, people who maybe like way on the periphery, just watched him on television and sent him money. Then there were people who maybe went to his churches just in like the cities that he didn't really control. Right. So it's not like he was going to Miami and beating the shit out of, you know, just these regular people at that went to his churches there. But these were people who were kind of like, like the hard- you know, core core members, the hardcore yeah. members who like, you know, traveled to the compound and like wanted to live there. Yeah. The, okay. I know what you're saying. The like really devout ones. Yeah. There were hundreds of them. I mean, he had thousands of followers around the fucking world, but it was, it was in the hundreds of people who were basically like living on these compounds, following him around, working at his businesses, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Now, Tony would be charged with 10 counts of taking underage girls across state lines for means of sex from March of 1994 through October of 2005, with many of the survivors testifying in open court. And a year later, on July 24th, 2009, Tony would be sentenced to 175 years in prison. Now, while in prison, authorities had actually had a hard time keeping him from using his wealth and really just charisma that he had to gain influence over fellow prisoners and prison guards. He was even allowed supposed visits from his remaining flock. They could also bring their children in with them. Wow. Okay. That seems inappropriate. Yeah, I did see there was a few sites where they were talking about 
like some of these instances i just don't i don't really they weren't taken from like the really like the decent you know kind of websites so i don't really want to like say it there was one story where apparently they were creating like a human shield in order to guard him from the cameras like while he was molesting one of the children basically kind of like one of the stories that was Ooh, told okay. about this time while he was in prison i mean i'm not gonna say it's impossible but it seems improbable yeah definitely i mean it sounds fucking terrible if it's true but it's also kind of one of those deals where, you know, like this terrible fucking person, you know, any kind of shot that you take at him, you know, is going to land just because he's so fucking horrible. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah. But anyway, it. I mean, the what I was trying to say is kind of like they had to move him from prison to prison. And this was up until his death in 2017. Okay. Just because... Yeah because of his followers or because of other prisoners he would basically like bribe everyone trying to you know gain influence trying to make it as comfortable as he could inside the prison kind of like the old mobsters used to do you see in some of those mob movies when they go to prison they're not actually in prison they're kind of like they have an apartment to themselves almost <laughs> very true <laughs> he was trying to almost like get that status you know? gotcha okay now, in 2014, there would actually be a huge lawsuit where seven of his victims would be awarded $525 million from his estate in damages. Was it actually worth that much? I don't know if it was. They were so they were supposed to be given that much money. I don't know if he actually had that much money. It, um, might, it might have been the type of thing that they do sometimes where they like, say sue a killer or something so um any profit that they make off of the story or whatever instantly goes to the people who sued him yeah and with that with that judgment they could basically take anything that belongs to the church because they not only sued tony alamo they're also suing the foundation too i believe so they're able to take anything they want from the church to sell it. So even if they never get the $525 million, they're cleaning out the whole establishment. So maybe it's maybe it's that situation. Pro yeah, you're probably right. Is the didn't you say the church is still around? The church is still technically around. Basically, there's just a couple of, you know, church buildings. A lot of them are pretty dilapidated. Um, they still do stand. Um, there's also it's I think it's mostly on the internet, though. Okay, like um, followers or whatever? Yeah, you know, like the Facebook group that I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. The 100,000 people one. Yeah, the 100,000 one that only gets like eight likes on their posts, that one. Okay. Did you join the group? No, I did not. Okay. I'm good. Okay. I actually don't use Facebook. I haven't used Facebook <laughs> in probably seven years. So, well, my if past... I'd say if any of our fans are out there like uh, and you're feeling bold, um, join the group and see if you can talk to the leader. Yeah, I don't know who's leading it right now. Yeah, hopefully they're not up to the fucking terrible shit that no. uh, Tony Lamo was up to. So kind of to you know, finish off this story on May 2nd, 2017, Tony Alamo would finally pass away at the age of 82, leaving behind a legacy of torture and abuse. Oddly enough. Uh, the biggest legacy is probably those Tony Alamo jackets 
they have actually come back into fashion with many of them being found in attics, storage units, and thrift stores all over the country. Uh, like I mentioned before, some of the mass-produced ones are sold for hundreds of dollars a piece on uh, the internet. The more you know, elaborate, authentic, kind of like unique ones sold for thousands of dollars per jacket. I could see it. They are, from the pictures anyway, they are very unique. Yeah, they're weird. I mean, it's one of those things where I can't believe anyone who knows the story would actually wear them. Like, what was going on to, like, make those jackets? If but, they had Iowa Hawkeyes one, you'd wear it. Ooh, yeah, that's a rough see? one. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Rhinestones of Kurt Ferris's face on the back? Come on now. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. What if they had a Kirk Cousins Minnesota Vikings one? We'll burn it. We'll burn it. We'll burn it. Yeah. yeah, just because it had him on it. Maybe it was Justin Jefferson, not Kirk Cousins. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so kind of finishing this off, it's, you know, I don't, what do you think about the whole, well, I mean, obviously we talk about Colts quite a bit, you know, in your other podcast, Bubble Butt, you guys talked about Colts a shit ton. Uh, kind of where does this rank among like kind of those Colts? Um, it's pretty bad. It's not definitely yeah. not the worst. Um. It's, let me see, cults in the world that we know about. Probably in the top 20, um, pretty bad. The slave labor and the underage sex is pretty bad. Uh, I, I'm guessing, I don't know if you resorted to murder. There's murder or that was covered up, but I feel like it would have went there eventually. Oh, yeah. I mean, I said it in the last episode about like kind of like the end of like where we are now. It's amazing this didn't go into like a Kool-Aid moment when you know the wall started caving in i think he liked the money too much for that yeah he definitely didn't want to kill himself he definitely you know he he loved himself more than anything probably even more than susan yeah so yeah he's he definitely was... a narcissist oh yeah well uh what do you uh what do you think about it phil uh, it's pretty fucking terrible. Um, of course I've been reading, you know, a bunch of different articles. I've watched a bunch of different fucking, you know, like news clips from back then on it. Um, it's amazing. He was allowed to operate for this long. He wasn't taken down earlier. Nowadays, obviously you couldn't run something like this, you know, just under the shield of religion, your shit would have gotten found out. You know, at least so. at least you can't hide it for as long as he did. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you can. Finally was what? 2009. He started in 69. Yeah. So 40 years. Yeah. Of fucking. <laughs> that's a long fucking time. Yeah. Way longer. I mean, most of the time. Yeah. Like you said, they can't hide quite as long. But, uh, but yeah, I guarantee there's some fucked up cults out there they they've always been around and always will be oh definitely yeah well Catholicism. Uh, <laughs> well phil if uh any of our fans if you know anybody who is associated with associated with the church back when it was thriving or anything and you want to let us in on some details of it where can they contact us they can hit us up on our email subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com uh yeah if you want to you know talk to us about anything just uh, send us a message we love hearing from you guys Another great way to get a hold of us is on Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Once again, Cody and I, we really like hearing from you. Uh, you know, all the likes and the shares, it's all great. I am actually about three weeks in a row now. I've gotten really good at getting on the Instagram and putting the. So I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit for that. 
But, you know, I'm back to that. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's the Bub. Uh, follow me on there. I'm not as on there as much as I used to be, but I will try to respond to your messages if you send me one. Uh, the last thing we ask you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave a show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say. Just type something and hit five stars, hit submit, and that's it. Thank you to everybody who's taking time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. You just got to hit five stars, hit submit, and you're done. Can't even physically type anything in that bad boy. Uh, thank you to everybody who's taking the time to do that. Well, Phil, I this is an amazing story. Two parts on a very fucked up cult and a very fucked up... Uh, both leaders are very fucked up. Um, anybody take a... Google this man's face, by the way. It's hideous, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, both of them. Yeah, hideous in the face. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, I'm glad this guy's dead. But anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.